0: Welcome to Market Corner Conversations, sponsored by Foresight Health. This is where outcomes matter, customers count, and value rules. Market Corner Conversations is Foresight Health's regular podcast series. It explores the intricacies of market-driven health reform. We dig deep into the U.S. system's structural inefficiencies we explain how its artificial economics and distorted business models rob the American people of the great health care they deserve. We identify and talk with innovative companies that are reinventing healthcare delivery by being better, faster, cheaper, and more customer-friendly. Today we're talking to Rick Kimball. Rick is a great friend of mine who was formerly the head of healthcare at Goldman Sachs. Rick recently completed a year as a fellow at the Stanford Business School as an entrepreneur in residence. Rick uh, and I wrote an article together titled, Mile High Potential, NFL Veterans Tackle America's Opioid Crisis, and we're going to tackle that topic right now. Rick, welcome to Market Corner Conversations.
1: Thanks for having me, Dave. I'm so impressed with the work that you've done. I'm so supportive of of your book and, and how you're trying to change the healthcare industry and and I'm right behind you as challenging the, as this
0: is. <laughs> well, I, for those who, since you can't see me, I'm blushing. But uh, Rick, <laughs> my mother would be proud. Thank you so much. Hey, could you tell us a little bit about your background? Uh, you know, walk us through your investment banking career, the the year at Stanford, and how you've gotten to focus on the area of medical marijuana as both an investment category, but but even more importantly, as a as a... a a strategy for addressing some of America's really tough healthcare problems.
1: Sure. So thank you, Dave, for having given me the chance to talk about this. So, so my career was 30 years as an investment banker. I was at Morgan Stanley for 20 years and, and almost 10 years at Goldman Sachs. And it was in 1995 when I was in equity capital markets at Morgan Stanley. And my bosses came to me and said, would you like to run – healthcare equity capital markets or technology equity capital markets. And I thought about it and I thought, you know what, healthcare is going to be a huge issue for our society. And I ought to get involved as an investment banker and on the policy front to try to figure out how to improve our our really very dysfunctional healthcare system. And so I spent the next, well, after that point in, in 1995, I spent the next 20 years really working hard to try to improve our our U.S. healthcare system by bringing capital and and innovation and and really helping think things through for, for CEO, CEOs in the industry. But I I ultimately retired from Goldman Sachs in 2012. I went on to be the chief strategy officer for a healthcare IT company. And then I went out to Stanford to be a fellow, really working on new models around healthcare reimbursement. I was particularly focused on, on primary care physicians and how to create a a more sustainable model for them to drive better outcomes and 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 have really a sustainable uh, economic formula for those pcps and it was while while i was out there at stanford that i learned about the wave of of legalization of marijuana across the united states canley I, I had not really paid much attention to it before that time and as i learned about it i realized that that there was a Whole new therapeutic category uh, around medical marijuana that was very, very profound for both healthcare, but maybe more broadly across our whole society, and it touched on the social justice issues and the black market issues of our war on drugs, and really we needed better medicines, and and the the opioid uh, epidemic and 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 terrible crisis has really uh, I think brought. Uh, Attention to the opportunity for the new uh, uses for medical marijuana, and then of course there's business opportunities there as well. But I thought that getting involved here to really understand the impact that medical marijuana could have on our healthcare system and and new ways to treat diseases, I think was I thought was very very important. And and so I've spent the last couple of years looking deeply into that.
0: Yeah, Rick, I'm, I'm going to ask you in a second to go a little deeper into the opioid epidemic and give us a sense of the contours of the problem, which, which are profound. But before we do that, it's, it's my turn to make you blush a little bit. Uh, you uh, glossed over a couple of things in your investment banking uh, career, and I, I just wanted you to highlight some of the great companies that that you brought public that are now uh, out there every day trying to make American health care better, faster, and, and more customer-friendly.
1: Well, I, I, I was uh, fortunate to work with a whole bunch of uh, companies like Athena Health, and um, I worked with some of the big companies and the emerging companies, uh, and I really felt that uh, I had a chance to bring some of the really, really great companies public over the years. I was I was eager to get involved in disease management back in the day, and, and really change the the outcomes. And hence, I, I worked with uh, Health Dialog and their sale to, to Bupa. I, I worked uh, on some of the very big mergers, but I'm really most proud of of really the innovative companies that 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 have been really trying to figure out how to how to really provide better outcomes for lower cost. And 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 we're finally seeing the the time of of Ah, uh, digital health come to be. I was involved early on with um, with Health and WebMD and some of the really early companies trying to disrupt the healthcare system. And I've been so pleased to see some of the progress that 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 other companies have made, like Athena and Castlight and and Iora. And I I love these these groups uh, that are coming on to to really change change outcomes and. And be much more in, involved in integrated medicine, and much closer to the to the individuals. I think where where we're going to find a, a really a changed landscape around healthcare.
0: Well, it really does feel that this time is different, as massive amounts of money, uh, smart money, private equity, and, and venture money flow not only into healthcare services but into provider based services and. Given your experience and your perspectives, multiple perspectives, you're you're the ideal person to uh, shine a light on on that potential. Uh, that could be another show unto itself, so we won't dig into that. But uh, let's let's turn back to the opioid epidemic and just talk to us about this horrific problem in, in America that's uh, that's just uh, destroying communities and families um, uh, and and wreaking havoc, uh, particularly through. Uh, middle America?
1: Well, it's just a horrible situation, and and we do not have our hands around this at all. And we we, we have probably a 20, 10 to 20 percent per year increase in deaths related to drug overdoses, the vast majority of which are coming from opioids, and 59,000 deaths perhaps in 2016, which is just, you know, there were 33,000 deaths in, in the Vietnam War. There were 3,000 deaths in the 2011, uh, uh, in, in the 9-11 attack, excuse me. And, and so these are huge numbers that are happening every year, every day in the United States. And, and it is so sad. And, and I, I, I feel having come from the healthcare industry, or at least healthcare investment banking, that I really believe that the, the pharmaceutical industry has played a major role in the creation of this, and and and, and even doctors have been complicit, and so we are just ha- having a continuum of of, of people across uh, really broadly across different demographic classes that are getting caught up in the opioid epidemic, but it is also concentrated in you know some of these. Uh, red states and and uh where people are 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 having a very tough uh life and and trying to make things work for themselves and they're resorting towards painkillers to to numb things and then ultimately getting on to heroin and 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 fentanyl is the terrible thing that's getting into the mix and it's it's just uh, tragic and I think we have to look deeply at at all the the, the root causes of this, but also how the system is, is ultimately facilitating this behavior. And the pharmaceutical companies are clearly supplying the drugs, and the doctors are, are prescribing these drugs. And, and then, of course, there's uh, then a, a big black market in, in both these drugs and the heroin, uh, which these are derivatives of. So it's a really, really tragic situation that's unfolding here.
0: Yeah, thank you for going into some detail on that. Uh, Fifty nine thousand deaths a year—that's more people than die in automobile accidents. That's remarkable. Just remarkable.
1: It, it, it's just terrible, and, and then it's going up, and, and we, we, which means we do not have our hands uh, on top of the problem.
0: Well, let's 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 shift out of uh, um, this topic, which um, uh, we could we could also spend a lot of time on, but but become a little more uh, oriented toward the positive. Uh, As as part of the article we wrote, we spent some time with NFL players who were being prescribed opioids by their team doctors and said enough is enough and then started self-medicating with medical marijuana with some really terrific uh, results. So why don't you talk to us a little bit about medical marijuana as an alternative for pain management uh, and – uh, the story of our conversations with with NFL players like Eugene Monroe.
1: Well, we really have seen some remarkable stuff on, on this front. So, so first, I got to know Eugene Monroe, who recently retired from the Baltimore Ravens, and and he shared with me his experience of 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 really the the abuse, the physical abuse that occurs as an NFL player, and then. The way they deal with it uh, as the the teams is to give these players incredible doses of of opioids and they end up both out on the field, barely feeling what's going on. And you can imagine how dangerous that can be for their bodies, but then getting addicted to these these drugs. And at some point in in Eugene's career, he said, you know, I, I just feel I can I can find a better way using marijuana. And he actually did begin to use marijuana during his career, which he's now uh, come out and, and discussed. And he was able to, to dramatically decrease the need for these opioids and other painkillers to manage the, the pain and recovery from his games. And, and he ultimately left the NFL uh, as he became a, a vocal advocate for at least the NFL Investigating what the opportunity is to use medical marijuana in this uh, realm of, of pain relief, and I think the data thus far suggests that that there's a lot for the NFL to to take a look at there around pain relief, as well as around uh, concussions and and CTE, the the damage to the brain.
0: Yeah, we do. It would be remarkable if the NFL ended up taking the lead on medical marijuana because they clearly lagged in addressing the concussion issue, and it's it's really come back to strike them with a vengeance. Um, so could you talk a little bit more about uh, sort of beyond Eugene how the conversation is unfolding within the NFL and the Players Association with regard to being more enlightened in looking at the potential benefits of medicinal marijuana and uh, and actually running some trials to see – how it works, when it works, and how to get the best uh, results.
1: So, so at the moment, the, the well, first of all, the players' association has taken this ish, issue up strongly. So, the players' association has gone to the NFL, and and there's been litigation and and real pushing of the NFL to at least investigate the use of medical marijuana as a substitute or a complement to the opiates. And and that continues to be a fight there, although the Players Association itself has now funded research. And so they are funding research into the topic. And then I've seen a number of people like Eugene Monroe who are organizing various groups to both nonprofit and for-profit groups to do clinical research and dig into these issues. And so I, I think what's going to happen here is you've got now 90% Public support across the country for medical marijuana. and you clearly have an issue in the NFL of of opiates and and a pain problem here. and the players are going to ultimately bring those things together. And what I see is the the NFL uh, administration uh, resisting this issue, I'm sure for 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 ultimately advertising reasons. and uh, they understand, the issues Jerry Jones and some others have stepped forward to, to support at least the NFL investigating medical marijuana, if not uh, allowing their players to use it in the right context. Uh, but it, but it is still it is still a fight. I think largely over the commercial interests that are at play.
0: Really, really interesting. Um, you know, this is clearly an example where the American people are ahead of of the American government. Uh, uh, marijuana is still a, a class one narcotic. You know, same category as heroin. Uh, even though nobody has ever died from an over- overdose of marijuana, maybe you could talk a little bit first about some of the other potential medicinal properties. Uh, in medical marijuana and its potential as a, as a holistic treatment alternative. It's, it's been around for centuries obviously to to treat uh, other conditions beyond pain. And then we can move into the federal government's current stance and how they're actually moving backwards in many ways on the issue. But let's first talk about in a more uh, expansive way the, the real medicinal properties, the expansive medicinal properties of, of marijuana.
1: Well, it's quite extraordinary that while we, we, we know that marijuana has been around and used for at least 5,000 years, and we've got records back into the pharaoh's tombs and whatnot that they knew about marijuana and, and something about its medicinal use. But um, what what was really extraordinary as I delved in this, into this area was to learn that it was in, only in 1990 that we discovered the existence of the endocannabinoid system in the human body. And this is a system of receptors that are largely concentrated in the brain, in the organs and the muscles. And the role, as we believe it, of the system is to create homeostasis in the body and across the systems, the, the, uh, the various different respiratory, cardiovascular, endocrine uh, and other systems in the body. And effectively, this system of receptors of the endocannabinoid system is there to help all the other systems come into balance. The human body produces two hormones that, that activate this system, anandamide and 2-AG, and these are chemicals that activate the system And the only other known uh, chemicals that we know about that activate the system are THC and CBD, which are the two cannabinoids in the marijuana plant that we know the most about. And so it's quite extraordinary that there's something in this plant that appears to be a key into this endocannabinoid system. And consequently, what we have found is it has had an extraordinarily broad set of of, uh, therapeutic value across different healthcare issues. We've seen it most dramatically in uh, children with epilepsy. So children with Dravet syndrome, a severe form of epilepsy, will have 10 or 100 seizures per day and they will then get on a dose of CBD that has no THC, which is so it does not get them high, there's no psychoactive uh, elements. They take this CBD and within hours, their seizures completely stop. And so we can see there's something very dramatic as it relates to something in the um, in the nervous system and it impacts, Uh, epilepsy and Parkinson's. We know there's also impact on and improvements on anti-inflammatory properties. Uh, There are anti-anxiety, anti-depression, anti-cancer elements, we believe. And then because, as you said, it's a class one substance, we have not been able to run clinical trials in the United States. And so we have a dearth of data around this, there's been work being done outside the US and 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 there's some early studies being done in the US, uh, but we've got a lot more work to really run the trials and know what all the the effects are. But it would appear that marijuana has an extraordinarily broad set of uh, properties that impact a lot of uh, key diseases related to pain, inflammation, and, and other characteristics.
0: Wow. Can you imagine if if one of the pharma companies owned a compound that did even a quarter of the things that you're uh, suggesting uh, marijuana has the potential to deliver in terms of uh, therapies and, and, and benefits, how aggressively they would be uh, trying to develop that compound, take it through the patent process, uh, and market it for, uh, you know, huge profits to the American public. Can you imagine? Well, I, 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 I can and I cannot. <laughs> uh,
1: but what's amazing is this drug, marijuana, is in, in, at the moment it's a $50 billion market in the United States in the black market. And when it's legal, which in my judgment is going to happen, and, and it needs to happen in the right way with the right regulation and and so on, but this is a 50 to $100 billion drug. And because it's a plant, I think it's going to ultimately be more of an open source and, and broader uh, drug rather than an ethical pharmaceutical loan by Pfizer or Johnson Johnson. But, of course, the details there remain to be seen as to how that, that all plays out. But I think your point is absolutely right. And it is a bit of a miracle drug. And we are already seeing tremendous substitution of marijuana for ethical pharmaceuticals. So uh, for instance, 93% of patients have said they prefer cannabis over opioids for managing pain. And we're seeing medical marijuana patients go into dispensaries and say, I don't want the pain medicine. I don't want the Ambien And, and give me the marijuana that that will replace that. And I really believe that that we're seeing the very early signs of massive substitution of this plant, which again, we need more research and we need to understand the right form factors and potency and formulations and so on, which I, I believe is very, very important for us to do. But I think that we're seeing already the early signs of this being very disruptive for many categories of pain, anxiety, sleep, inflammation, uh, epilepsy, Parkinson's, neurological diseases, cancer, it goes on and on.
0: Yeah, let's, let's, let's mo- now move to the federal government's um, approach on, on marijuana. And so generally talk about that, but let's do it within the context of how having the drug as a Schedule I narcotic has inhibited the industry's ability to develop even basic functions like banking and how uh, the marijuana industry, which is is really in its infancy, is beginning to overcome some of these uh, structural barriers so that it can really achieve its potential.
1: Well, so, so it's, it's fascinating because – we've clearly seen over the last really 20 years since California legalized medical marijuana in 1996, we've seen that the States are ready to, to adopt this as medicine and, and want to try to do that. And, and now we have 29 States that have medical marijuana legal and, and, and the district of Columbia. And, and yet we have federal prohibition. And as you said, uh, marijuana is considered a, Uh, a schedule one drug along with heroin. And so you have this incredible discontinuity between where the public sentiment is and where the states are in terms of their regulation and and every state being different, and then where the federal government is. And so you have states like California and, and Colorado that are moving forward to open up these markets, believing that that this is that this is medicine, and that this is an acceptable um, plan to be at least available for adults, but because of the federal regulation, or federal prohibition, I should say, uh, federally chartered banks are not able to bank the industry. There's 12,000 uh, banks in the United States; only 300 are willing to bank the cannabis industry and those are not federally chartered banks. And so the deposits, deposits are not federally, federally uh, insured. And then there's the issue of tax where under the uh, tax, the IRS tax code section 280E says that for businesses that are trafficking in drugs, which selling marijuana even a, in a uh, legal state like California or Colorado, trafficking of drugs uh, causes the taxpayer to not be able to deduct the cost of goods sold against revenues for the purposes of determining their taxable income. And what that means is that uh, that marijuana businesses, particularly the dispensaries, but also the grows will end up with tax rates that are upwards of 70 or 80 percent uh, and And maybe more if they can't actually make any profitability. And so that is crippling to the ability of the industry to generate cash on investment and then be able to reinvest in the business and and grow the industry. And so it's a a very substantive challenge for the industry to to really attract capital and 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 be able to grow and and build these these businesses. So it's a fascinating situation of the, 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 really the disconnect between federal policy and federal law, and and state law, and then there's a number of different uh, uh, frameworks by which investors and companies are comfortable to operate in the legal marijuana industry, which really is the Cole memo that's come out of the Department of Justice and the DEA and the Rohrbacher-Farr Amendment, now about to be called the Rohrbacher-Blumenauer Amendment, both of which together suggest that the Department of Justice will not be able to use federal funds to prosecute marijuana businesses that are operating legally in their states. And so it's a a bit of a tightrope that's being walked right now by the businesses that are living under the the legal uh, framework of the states, but uh, with a fairly thin layer of protection uh, between this uh, the state legalization and the federal prohibition.
0: Well, that's a that's a great segue to where I'd like to uh, end the conversation and, and ask the final question. Um, it really does feel like the states are going to be the the laboratories through which. Uh, the marijuana uh, industry matures and, and develops its capabilities. Uh, you and I are both big fans of, of market-based change and uh, steeped in, in capital markets and uh, spotting companies and um, trying to nudge uh, those that we think are promising uh, towards success. So why don't you talk a little bit about how you're going to take this wealth of knowledge uh, and experience gathered over a, a very uh, impressive career and direct it now into um, trying to develop a, a, a fund to support the development of the industry. And what are your, what are your, what are your goals and what are your hopes as, as you undertake this, this next endeavor, this next big endeavor on your part?
1: Well, thank you for that, Dave. So it's been fascinating from my perspective where I feel that I spent the last year and a half really delving seven days a week uh, deeply into this new industry and and what the issues are. And and there's some real issues. And I've got teenage kids, and I don't want a black market of marijuana. I don't want my kids to have access to marijuana. There's medicine in here, and we need to, to do the research and develop it. And then we really have been uh, brought up with this incredible stigma developed by the war on drugs. And, and I think most people, myself included, think, well, this must be bad because that's what I was brought up to believe. And so I feel that I, I, I've, I've dug in here deep and I think there's a lot of value for our society, for our healthcare system in here. And one of the, the many challenges is capital formation And so I'm in the process of raising a a significant uh, sort of 50 to $100 million private equity fund focused on developing the legal marijuana markets. And what I'm really focused on um, for my fund is, is how to have a vision for what is a safe marijuana market, where we've done the clinical research, where we have positioned this in a safe and healthy way for our, our society and and really i think there's an opportunity to, to help add more uh, framework into the wellness component of our healthcare system and so but my, my vision really is to bring professionalization and uh, and real focus on regulatory compliance and and developing a healthy industry for for businesses for Families for our society, for for people who really need this medicine, and I think it's a really exciting opportunity to be, to be at the very early stage here. But in my mind, we really have to start to build the, the foundational pieces. And given my experience in in business and and investment banking, I'm I'm really focusing on how do we find good actors and and support good actors. How do we uh, really bring people from, uh, in, including people from the black market, into the legal market. We need to get rid of this black market, and and so I'm focused on on how do we be realistic about what we have here, and then bring this forward in a way that's healthy and safe for the country, for our healthcare system, for our families and children, and and it's it's a big deal, and it's it's not easy, and it's it's not straightforward. But I think if we can bring some some smart, committed people into the industry, and, and my intention is to bring a significant capital formation in to, to build good businesses and and ultimately build a healthy industry for the country.
0: Wow. What a great vision. And, and Rick, what a great uh, great conversation. Uh, we've been talking to Rick Kimball about the mile-high potential for medical marijuana and All of the associated topics related to the opioid crisis, uh, the federal government's counterproductive role, some of the really interesting activity that's occurring in the states, and maybe most important of all is how, in a very bottom-up way, the American – uh, enterprise marketplace is finding ways to invest and realize the potential of medicinal marijuana. So Rick, thanks so much for your time. I think you've expanded our audience's understanding of this really important topic. And uh, we look forward to charting your progress as, as you move forward uh, with your fund.
1: Thanks for having me on here, Dave. I really appreciate it.
0: If you're frustrated with healthcare, if you want to understand how the system is reinventing itself through relentless bottom-up market-driven reform, please subscribe to our podcast at foresighthealth.com. Be a rebel with a cause. Help us fix American healthcare. Until next time, this is Dave Johnson.